There we go. Again, good morning to you. We are this morning looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. Let me read that for us. Hear the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift to the, at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, this morning, the, what Jesus talks about here in this idea of anger, it has this like sense of immediacy to it, right? Something that's important for us to pay attention to, something that's important for us to hear. And to, to kind of get us thinking about that, it's, it's pretty heavy, but it's actually really beautiful. Um, I just want you to think about that thing that you probably have seen in your car. I've ignored them for years. But you know those little orange lights that come up on your dash that tell you your tires are low? Um, you know, or your engine, there's an issue with your engine, or you're, you need an oil change. And if you're not real familiar with what those symbols mean, and your car keeps working, you, you just kind of keep on keeping on. But if you look in your manual, you'll see that, oh, my tires are low, it's not that important. Like, I need to fix it, but it's not a big deal. But every now and then, there'll be a warning in your owner's manual that's like, you know, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go immediately to the dealership. You know, your car's about to explode, whatever. Has this sense of immediacy to it where you're like, this is something I have to pay attention to. Or if someone were to scream in church this morning, if it was a baby, you'd think, oh, poor parent, but you can do it. Like, we've been there. You got it. If it was an adult who screams and they're afraid, you'd be like, okay, what's going on? Like, we need to help each other. Like, there's, there's a difference in things that are going on around us that communicate to us a sense of immediacy or significance and in this text where Jesus is in this this sermon on the mount in verse 23 he says therefore if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that you that your brother or sister has something against you leave your gift there in front of the altar first go and be reconciled to them then come and offer your gift there's something Jesus is addressing here that is so significant that even if you're in the middle of offering your gift and you realize something has someone against you, you should go deal with that first. Like, it's important. And he connects that to this idea of anger. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the idea of what is anger? Like, how do we think about anger? What does it mean for us to understand anger in our own hearts? Like, where's that coming from? And then how does God respond? And what do we kind of do with that? Okay? So to start with, let's think about anger. What makes you angry? You know, maybe you have a, had a flight last week and the, you got the news that your plane was delayed or canceled. Like, that can make you angry, you know, or, frust- or frustrated. Um, last week we had our AC worked on and um, they were fixing the heaters. And so it's Thursday, you know, and the deep freeze is about to come and our heaters wouldn't work. And so I experienced a lot of anxiety about noon. And then our guys who were working on it did a great job and they had the heat going. But I was like, ooh. Like, you know, what, what triggers you? What sends you into sort of an immediate, like, response? And maybe even the kind of response that you know that you're having, 
but you don't realize you're having it at first? Like you just like, I'm all amped up. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm upset about that. When you think about anger, what makes you angry? Now, don't, don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. Um, sometimes we express anger in a way that's very unhealthy, but, but actually, God has an anger. And it's the kind of anger that responds to things like death and injustice and things that are wrong. Um, it's an instinct of right that we each have because we're all image bearers of God. We're made in the image of God. Every man, woman, and child, there's something about who God is and His creating us that we have Him in us. And when we have a deep instinct of something being wrong, we have a reaction to it. Well, that's appropriate. We should. We should. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a kind of anger that leads to murder. You know, the kind of anger that has death as a result, not the kind of anger that God has that has life as a result. Again, we'll talk a little more about that if you haven't thought about how even God's anger is a protest leading towards good things and towards life. When you experience anger, you have all sorts of responses to it. It can be a physical response, you know, you get angry uh, in the sense of how you're acting. It can be a social response, you distance yourself from people. You have a physiological response, certain hormones start kicking off. And Jesus is saying there's actually a spiritual component to anger. It's not just about what's happening out there, it's very much about what's happening in your heart. And so Jesus says, you know, you, you say that committing murder is, you know, breaking the law. I'm telling you that actually being angry is leading that direction. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not in- enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, what's going on, and that's what we preached on earlier last week, Jesus is saying, I'm not just interested in the outward action. I'm interested in the heart. What's going on inside of you is significant to me. I care more about who you are both inside and outside than just who you are on the outside. And Jesus is inviting His people to consider, like, obviously murder's wrong, right? But what about this idea of anger? In chapters 5 and 6 and 7, as we'll look at parts of this in this sermon series, Jesus fleshes out what it really means to see His kingdom come to bear. And for the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, their idea was if I obey the law, then I'm good, and then I have a good relationship with God. In other words, kind of a works righteousness. I can establish my relationship with God based on what I do. And Jesus is saying, your heart is critical. Having a relationship is central. It's relational. Again, remember, Jesus is on this, on this mountainside. People have gathered around. And he could have just left a scroll and said, you know, and signed it, Jesus, and said, read this, please. He sits down and has a relationship with them. There are people there who are angry at Jesus. There are people there who are just curious about Jesus. There are people there who believe in Him and are following Him. And probably in this room, that entire population is represented. People who are angry with God, people who are just curious about who God is, or maybe people who are saying, I do love Jesus and I want to follow Him. And what is He trying to say to me this morning about this idea of anger? And Jesus enters into relationship with them he enters in relationship with us for us to consider how do we process the idea of anger now again to think about the hard idea i was at a friend's house having dinner this week and they have four beautiful children and we're sitting there together and i'm kind of looking around their house and the kids are showing me different things and i noticed that there's 
Oh, on this one particular wall, there seems to be a lot of artwork, like a lot of random lines drawn from top to bottom. And I asked one of the children, I said, oh, did you do this? And she kind of paused, like, uh, is he trying to find out if I did this because I'm in trouble or like, what's happening? I said, no, 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 it's pretty, it's pretty. Like, we don't want our children to write on our walls, but when they're little and they do it, it we're like, well, you know, they're just making it more beautiful. Like, there's a heart component. It's not just about, is it right or wrong? There's a heart component. So in thinking about anger, how do we process anger? How do we think about it? The American Psychology Association, just to use kind of a modern definition of how to think about what anger is, like what our contemporaries you know, outside the church are thinking about anger, they say this, anger is an emotion characterized by antagonism towards someone or something you feel has deliberately done you wrong. It's an inward emotion to an outward reality. Anger is a response we have to the world around us at times. Again, sometimes that's an anger being provoked by this sense of what's right and wrong. Sometimes it's being provoked by something else. And Jesus is saying, be careful. You've heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. What is Jesus saying there about anger? He's talking about the Sixth Commandment, obviously. He's referencing Exodus chapter 20, where uh, the Lord gives the law to Moses and says you shouldn't murder. And in general, society agrees with this. Like, it's not a good idea to have a lot of people around you who are are into that, right? And And what the Pharisees were doing and the scribes, they were saying, look, if we can, by the letter of the law, show we're obeying the law, we can prove that we are acceptable before God and that we're not going to receive any kind of judgment from Him. It also enabled them to look at other people who were guilty of such crimes, whether it was murder or adultery or covetousness or or dishonoring parents, you know, all these things are in the Ten Commandments, and to say to them, we are more righteous than you are. And so what does Jesus say to them in Matthew chapter 5? Look, unless your righteousness is even greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, unless you're even better than them, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't experience the promises I have for you. The idea behind murder... The reason it's forbidden in the Ten Commandments, the reason why Jesus validates that here, is murder is really the destruction of what God has created, His own image bearer. And saying, thou shalt not do that. Like, that's not a good thing. God has made a person, every single man, woman, and child, created in God's image, worthy of dignity and respect. There's something about the, the, the mystery of who God is that when He makes us, we exhibit as His people. And so don't do that. Jesus draws this connection, however, between the idea of anger and murder. What is that? You know, if, you're, if, you've, if you've ever been angry at somebody or if they're angry at you, you know what it's like if they say something that just pours gas on the fire, right? Maybe, you know, they've said something to you and you're like, ooh, I know how to get them back. And then you say it back and it's just you pour gas on it. It gets worse and worse and worse. The Bible has a different way for us. Not that we're saying anger doesn't have any valid place in our lives. What we're saying, though, is that what Jesus is connecting here is this idea of anger that leads us to a place where we would disregard someone entirely is like murdering them. To disregard them as not even worth respect, honor, dignity, as an image bearer of who God is. Living in anger, you could say it this way, living living in anger is living toward death. Living in anger is like living toward death. John Stott said this, a commentator on this text. 
The entire application of the prohibition, talking about thou shalt not murder, was much wider, Jesus maintained. It included thoughts, words, as well as deeds, anger and insult, as well as murder. Jesus here is referring to unrighteous anger, the anger of pride, vanity, hatred, malice, revenge. And Jesus refers to just such an insult. Now, if you've never heard, the, maybe people have probably never called you a raka, right? That's an insult here that Jesus talks about. What is a raka? Well, it's like a rockhead. It's someone who is hard-headed, dull-headed, empty inside. A fool. You know, Jesus says, if you call him a fool, what's a fool? Well, it's someone who is worthless. And so, Jesus is saying, if you're guilty of thinking of people or calling people this, calling them raka, calling them fool, it's like you're murdering them. How is that possible? There's lots of people in this world I don't like and that I've been mad at that I don't want to murder. And but Jesus is saying there's some kind of parallel there between the act of murder and the emotion of anger. He's drawing a connection between what we hold to be true in our hearts with how it affects who we are and how we think of other people. To hold anger in your heart is to stay in a place of anger in a relationship is essentially to commit a form of murder. Now that's intense. Because there's things we should be angry at. But again, God is righteous. His anger always leads to life. The kind of anger oftentimes we have does what? Leads to our own agendas. Jesus is saying here, look, if you really want to know what it's like to not be righteous before me, well, you shouldn't murder. You shouldn't do that. But you want to know what else it's like? It's like being angry at somebody. Because murder is always based in something. It's based in anger. Ultimate anger expressed. Now, if you don't think that's true, just think about road rage. If you've ever seen stories on the internet about road rage, people don't usually leave their houses thinking these kinds of things are going to happen. But what happens? Anger ignites, and it leads somewhere. And the problem with things that we look to to give us what only God can give us is that they promise things they can't give. What does anger promise? It promises vengeance. It promises the ability to make right, make things that are wrong right. It gives the opportunity for us to sort of be the judge in that moment. How often has your anger led to that kind of situation? How often times we see in the world anger leading to where like, man, I'm so glad you were furious and angry. Look at how good things are now. And yet in the moment, what does it feel like? Our hearts are deceitful above all things. Jesus is calling us to something greater. He's calling us to love. You see, Jesus is also saying here, this idea of anger is leading to something we call hatred. What is hatred? Hatred is saying, if you cease to exist, I would be apathetic. If your heart didn't skip another beat, mine wouldn't miss one. It's saying, if you had your last breath good, I have more air for me. It's an interest in someone no longer existing. Or to put it this way, to define someone by anger, the reason you can stay angry at somebody, and you should probably think about someone maybe you're angry at now, or maybe the person who's next to you you're kind of angry at, or just you'll know, pick whatever situation. But when you're angry at someone, here's what's going on. You're allowing their sin and their mistakes to be their primary definition. You will be defined by your failures, and so I'm angry at you. And I will treat you as such. There's a better way. God has more for us. It's, you know, this idea of treating people like their sins deserve is exactly opposite how Jesus approaches us. I quoted Matthew 11 earlier in the beginning of the service, but let me read to you it again. This is how Jesus responds to us. We read we're his enemies, that we're sinners. 
that we make mistakes and we fail, how does Jesus respond to us? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Anger will not give rest to our souls. Following Jesus, he's inviting us into following him in a way that does lead to rest. Anger doesn't have the power it promises. Now, I don't know if you care about Star Wars, if you've watched this new series, The Book of Boba Fett. If you haven't, and you're like in episode three, and I've seen them all, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But I am going to tell you about something that Star Wars fans care about. The Dark Saber Emerges. It's okay if you don't know what that is. It's this really incredible looking lightsaber, and it's black. And it's got this silver around the edge. And the thing about this lightsaber is you can't just use it however you want. In fact, we see the character who's using it. Notice I'm not doing spoilers. We, we see the character who uses it. And what happens is they swing it one time, and they're able to defend themselves. And they swing it a second time, and they can defend themselves. But every single time they swing it, it gets heavier, and it gets heavier, and eventually gets so heavy that the character holds the saber and it just it freezes to the ground. It can no longer be used for the purpose that he wants to have it. Anger is like that. We wield it. It's a liar. We think it's going to lead to something good. We think it's going to lead to you know, us getting what we want, which is really reconciliation. It's not. It's a burden that is too heavy to bear. In other words, to treat people and define them by their mistakes is a burden too heavy to bear. You can't bear it because God has made us for something better. He's made us to be a people who do not live in light of anger, but who live in light of grace. God defines us by His grace. Think about these scriptures. Psalm 25, verse 10. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. All the ways of the Lord, even His anger. Romans chapter 5, verse 2 and following. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, this is verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Do you hear that? God's response to us when we're faithless, when we make, when we make mistakes, when we lash out in anger, when we do not love as God has loved us, His response to us, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Do you see? God defines us by His grace, not by what we deserve. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. What is the purpose? What does, what does God's anger accomplish in the world? Where is it leading? Right here. In Him we have redemption through His blood. All of the world's anger, all of the world's pain, all of the world's sadness, and it's hard for us to fathom this, that is actually inflicted on Jesus on the cross so that it doesn't have to be inflicted anywhere else. So that you don't have to inflict it on others in your anger. So that they shouldn't be inflicting it on you in their anger. There's a grace that's available to us in who Jesus is that lets us hear these words and say, well, yeah, I'm not going to murder anybody. And you know what? I'm not going to be angry. 
Because it doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead where my heart is telling me it's going to lead. There is something that does lead me to where my heart really wants to be, to be reconciled with God and reconciled with others. When work is hard, when marriage is hard, when school is hard, when you're in a place emotionally, and I'm, I'm assuming pretty much everybody's been there at some point, where the only thing you can feel is anger, hear God's call in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Your anger will not give you rest. Actually, your anger fully lived out, the disregard of another human being entirely, to think of them as a raka, useless fool who doesn't even have the image of God present on them, leads to a place you do not want to go, to a place of death, to a place of decay. God invites us to know that we're defined by His grace so that we can learn to define others by His grace. It doesn't mean that their actions don't have consequences. Of course they do. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to turn away from sin. Yes, He does. But it's driven by a desire for us to experience and to express His grace. I want you to think for a moment who you're angry at. I'm going to do a little experiment with you. Are you ready? I voted for Joe Biden. I voted for Donald Trump. I'm not going to tell you who I voted for. Like I've, I, Jesus is the king. I'm never going to tell you that. Okay? He's my, presidents come and go. But how did you feel when I said that? Part of it because it's a pulpit, and we don't use pulpit for politics. But did your opinion of me politically change for a moment? Now substitute that with anything you want. When we define people by anything other than who God has said that they are, they are made in His image. They're worthy of dignity and love and respect. We know that every single man, woman, and child is broken and fallen and in need of what? God's grace. And the reason that we lean into that is because His grace leads to life. Now, let me finish with these two quick thoughts now that you've been jarred a little. Two things to think about. And then a little letter I'm going to read to you. The first is this. Remember, ultimately, God will judge whoever you are angry with. He will judge them. They are not going to get away with it. God is angry at death. He has protested death. How? Christ died for us so that we can live. Death will not have the last word. Maybe you're angry at death. Maybe you've lost someone you cherish and love. God has brought resurrection. God's anger leads to stopping the damage bringers. Maybe people have brought damage into your life, or maybe you've brought damage. God will judge all things. Don't worry they're not going to get away with it, okay? He has an immediate response. His anger against sin is visited on Christ completely. Your anger, my anger, my sin, your sin is visited on the cross. So we don't have to worry. People are not going to get away with it. Even if it seems like they have, they're not. But the other part of that is that you're not going to get away with it either. The children's catechism says, where is God? God is everywhere. Can you see God? No. I cannot see God, but God can always see me. Does God know all things? Yes, nothing can be hid from God. Not a thought in your heart, anything in your mind, your fears, all of it. God knows it all. How does He respond? He responds with a desire for you to be reconciled. He desires with a a response for you to experience His grace as the main thing that defines you. I'm going to read to you one more thing from John Stott and then a closing little uh, illustration. He says this, How seldom do do we heed Christ's call for immediacy of action? 
If murders are horrible crime, malicious anger and insult are horrible too. And so is every deed, word, look, or thought by which we hurt or offend a fellow human being. We need to be more sensitive about these evils. We must never allow an estrangement to remain, still less to grow. We must not delay to put it right. We must not even let the sun go down on our anger. But immediately, as soon as we are conscious of a broken relationship, we must take the initiative to mend it, to apologize for the grievance we have caused, to pay the debt we have left unpaid, to make amends. And these extremely practical instructions Jesus drew out from the sixth commandment as its logical implications. If we want to avoid committing murder in God's sight, we must take every positive step to live in peace and love with all men because Jesus loves us. Now, I know relationships are complicated. They are. And sometimes things can't be reconciled right now or this year. But the question is this. In your heart of hearts, are you longing for God to bring peace and rest even in those spaces? Because when we long for what He longs for, we begin to see the kingdom of heaven emerge. Emerge in our own hearts. Even emerge in the other person. You know, do you so, have you so experienced God's grace of forgiveness that you can fathom the idea of forgiving people you have the right to be angry with? God has the right to be angry with us. He chooses peace and reconciliation at the cost of the cross. God has been gracious to us. He invites us to imitate Him in that because the result of it is resurrection. So, you think about a close relationship, maybe a close friend of yours, maybe in your marriage, maybe at school, whatever. There's lots of examples I could read to you, but I just want to read to you this one because it came out this week. Kyle sent it to our elders. It's a, by faith online. It's our web magazine for our uh, denomination. This is a story about a pastor. Pretty sure I know who it is, but they've been married for decades, and he writes about his experience of his wife being gracious to him and what that's done to him throughout his life. He writes this, Maybe you're like me. I was raised in a Christian home, but in my teens, my parents' marriage was in crisis, and I retreated to my room most nights to escape the tensions and stress. And so when I went off to college and even began ministry, I didn't have good perspectives on marriage or relationships of any kind. I lived in a protective shell, cool and aloof. I limited any expression of love or emotion, protecting myself from pain while actually wanting love and connection. And when the Lord first brought Kathy, my future wife, into my life, I was sure that I could help her grow in her spiritual understanding. I now praise God that He used her to teach me far more of His grace for battered souls like mine. Kathy loved me past my aloofness, forgave my pride, and allowed me to grow in tenderness. Had she not expressed grace better than I can explain it, I shudder to think of the father, pastor, or man I would have become. God's transformation occurs when our minds are renewed by understanding how good, pleasing, and perfect is His will. His Word reveals that will. Our relationships also have the power to make it real. Teaching and showing grace to one another breaks the patterns of the world and renews hearts for Jesus. Anger does not do that. God's grace is able to do that. He's able to use us in the lives of one another to be gracious to each other when we don't deserve it because in doing that, we're modeling the kind of love He's shown us in Christ and the result of it is redemption and resurrection and renewal. You know, this week, my prayer for you, for me, is that we might ask the question, like, when we're angry, wait a minute, 
God's been gracious to me. What would it look like for me to be gracious here? Because in following Jesus, where does it lead? To a place where the weary and burdened can come and experience rest for their souls. May God give you grace this week to find rest in Him. Let's pray together. God, we know that You are righteous in all Your ways. We know that You're perfect. We also know that You are one who stands for justice. You're one who stands against wrongs. You have come even to defeat death. And at times we live as if we prefer things other than You and Your response to us is grace and mercy and forgiveness because Your desire is for reconciliation. Lord, would You use the words that we've heard this morning and the preaching of Your Word and the songs we've been singing and even witnessing Daniel's baptism, Lord, to remember that we belong to You, that You are gracious to us. Enable us to live into that kingdom reality of Your kindness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.